perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. Your biggest enemy is not another competitor. It's the back button. If I land in your site and I'm like, this is a muddled mess that has nothing to do with me, I'm just going to click back and go find a different search result that answers the question. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Welcome to another exciting episode. I hope everybody is killing it this week for Black Friday week. It seems like Black Friday has just started early this year for everyone. Today we have Kurt Elster on the show and a lot of you might know Kurt because he's the host of another e-commerce podcast called the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, which is a great podcast. Uh, we're actually a sponsor of it at Bold. Um, so definitely check out his podcast. And uh, you know, Kurt runs a successful e-commerce agency, but I think most importantly, Kurt is just passionate about e-commerce and you'll sense that right away as soon as we start this conversation. We talked about a lot of a lot of really interesting things how to you know understand the potential of copywriting the power of positioning you know the best ways to troubleshoot your online store for conversion optimization and so much more you guys are really going to enjoy this episode let's go welcome everybody today is going to be a great episode i have the one and only kurt elster here with me and if you run a store on the shopify platform there is a very very good chance you know who he is he runs a great agency, EtherCycle, but what you probably know him for is also the host of the unofficial Shopify podcast, which if you're looking for a great podcast focused on building on Shopify, it's one of, if not the best. So definitely check that out. It's going to be a great show. We're going to learn a little bit about Kurt. We're going to dive into conversion optimization, which is one of Kurt's area of passion. And we're going to talk about Kurt's pet peeves, which apparently he has a lot of. So stay tuned for that. And we're going to touch on holiday sales a little bit at the end because, well, who isn't this time of year, right? So Kurt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And with that intro, I have to make it clear, I'm nowhere near as professional or talented as you claim. Really out of control here. <laughs> I asked Kurt before the show, I said, well, what are some things you want to talk about? And he mentioned... A few different things, but the top of the list was, I think, pet peeves. And I picture him just like, sometimes the way you do your teardowns, I picture you just going through, oh, oh, they did this. Oh, they did that. <laughs> like, so, oh, no. No, oh, that Why'd you do this? You idiot. Yeah. Oh, why? <laughs> oh, is Paul in the background there? Hey, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Thank you. Oh, okay. You idiot. I got my sound bites going. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I thought that was Paul yelling at you. No. But you're working from home now, right? Yeah, I've been working from home. I got okay. like a 18 year lease on an office that I pay for, don't use. That Paul goes like once a week. It's really, it's just a very expensive P.O. box at this point. Ah, uh, well, hopefully you're back soon. I hope so, but who knows? Yeah. So, Kurt, okay, first of all, this is the first time I've been on this side of the microphone with you. I think I've been on your show a few times, two or three times. I don't know exactly, but. What do you prefer? Do you prefer being a guest or do you prefer being a host? You know, it, it depends on my mood. They're both fun and they're both performances. Just one is a little different. Being a host, I get to talk less, but you need to be like thinking ahead more. Whereas being the guest, it's more, it's more of a performance, but less preparation, more relaxed. You know what? Actually, the worst part about hosting a podcast is writing the show notes and coming up with a compelling episode title. And as a guest, I don't have to worry about any of that. So I get all the reward with none of the effort. I'm going to come down. Being a guest is better. <laughs> don't you have someone that does that for you now? Not the show notes. I still like I don't edit it. The onboarding process is very you know, streamlined. And I got someone who does the transcripts. And for the video version, someone else edits it. But ultimately, I still write the darn show notes. Yeah, because you want it a certain way and it to come across a certain way to the reader. Like certainly like something like the newsletter that accompanies it. Right. That I want control over. That needs to be in my voice. The show yeah. notes, I'm sure I could get somebody else to do it. But it's also not like most of the time, I like to complain about it, but like realistically, it's a few minutes for me to do it. So I, I have yet to outsource it. I tried once and it was just like, the guy was extremely talented, but it was going to be, too expensive. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, wait, wait, I want to go just back a second. So you have sound effects that you just play on the <laughs> on the spot during podcasts? Give yourself to the dark side. Yeah, you need sound <laughs> effects. It's a lot more fun when you have sound effects. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. You got a whoopee cushion one handy? You know, when I was saying, talking about how I was not very serious, I, <laughs> I had a few, a few slipped out. I thought I heard that in the background, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I had it turned down a little bit to make it... <laughs> Which I guess when you're subtly slipping in a fart sound effect, that's not good. <laughs> Someone may mistake it for the real thing. I wasn't sure if you were turning around in your chair or something. Or if that was a <laughs> is that, is that, what is that leather squeaking? What is that? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I'm glad it's, uh, I didn't want to make it awkward if. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you heard it and weren't sure what to do with I it. Did hear it. That's even better. Well, of course I heard it, <laughs> but it was so faint. I wasn't sure if it was something just in the background in your office. Or Paul across the room. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, geez. Okay. Where was I? See, this is hard being on host because now <laughs> I have to remember where I was. Now I've completely derailed you. Yeah. Throw this show off the rails in five minutes. Okay. So, first of all, what do you do? Who's Kurt? And why do you do what you do for anyone listening? Turk, good question. For the last 11 years, I have worked for myself. I was working for an e commerce auto parts dropshipper. And one day I tied my shoes to go to work and I just broke down crying and I knew I had betrayed myself. I knew that I needed to be an entrepreneur and work for myself. And I put in one week notice. That's how excited I was. Not two weeks, one week, just so I could get out in the world and hang out my shingle. And I had tons of unfair advantages in doing this, of course. But I said, I'm going to build my own e-commerce platform. And I partnered up with a friend. And it turns out building an e-commerce platform is a lot harder than one would think. And so we started doing freelance web design and development work on WordPress. And we had a friend who wanted a Shopify store or he said, oh, I hate my e-commerce store. You got to help me. I said, what do you want out of it? This was like 2011. He said, I just wanted to be easy. And I said, I heard of this thing called Shopify. Let's try it. Again, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we ended up designing and developing a custom theme for Shopify. That got noticed by one Dan Evelay that gets us into the Shopify Partners Program, the Shopify Experts Program. We start getting some other leads there. By 2014, I'm hosting a podcast about it and doing Shopify exclusively. And now six years later, like we're in a wonderful position with Shopify and love it to death. It was the hitching my carts to both podcasting in 2014, that horse and Shopify. I did not realize how brilliant those decisions were as business moves at the time. Like I'm like, okay, this is what feels right. Like Shopify feels right and we'll try podcasting. Though I suppose if you stick with anything long enough, you will stack the bricks and build a business out of it at some point. Try anything for two years, you'll get somewhere. Or maybe Shopify became what it is because you started with them in 2011. (laughs) I am hardly going to steal Shopify's valor (laughs) on that one. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we're... I had e-commerce stores all, most of my life, but in 2010, put one on Shopify and had kind of a similar thing. Like it was not the leading, it was not what it is today. And at the time, like everyone would say, what Shopify, what Shopify? And, and that obviously isn't the case now. But for someone to build on them at that time, you know, they had, I think it's 6,000 merchants. I remember when they changed on their website, supporting 10,000 merchants. And now it's over a million. Oh yeah, I know. So like it was not, the obvious decision back then. So you definitely had some foresight and good on you for sticking with it. Like I remember when you launched your podcast in 2014, I even wondered if an e-commerce podcast in general would have a big enough audience. (laughs) You know, I didn't know. I was like, if a few hundred... Not just one focused on Shopify, like in general e-commerce, yeah. Well, I had the same fear. It's the unofficial Shopify podcast. That was just a working title and we didn't know what we were going to call it. But I knew the power of niching down. So I said, like, I want to give it a chance. I really want to be top of mind for Shopify because I'm committed to it. I'm passionate about it. And I think that our goals are aligned and I want that to come across. And I bet right. It's survivorship bias where for me, it's very easy to go like now I'm six years later, very successful. And it's easy for me to say, oh, yeah, no, that was a great decision. I'm so brilliant. I'm glad I had that wonderful intuition. Part of it is luck. I made the right decision and got lucky. But we did also, yeah, I'm fairly risk averse. And we did say, hey, let's not just blindly jump on Shopify. Let's try all the e-commerce platforms. 
And I had a landing page that I knew worked for getting leads. And Google traffic was a lot cheaper six years ago. And so I bought traffic against various e-commerce keywords and sent them to various landing pages. They were all the same landing page, except the platform it talked about changed. And so we did in like a very short time period, we did work on Magento. There was like a, a hosted version of Magento at the time as well. PrestaShop, Lemon Stand, Big Commerce. Like we did a whole bunch and none had the ease of use, the documentation or the ecosystem that Shopify did. And that was where we were comfortable. So I said, why am I doing anything else? Like I own the business. Why should I do anything that I don't love? Obviously, the fact that we're here tells us, well, okay, well, those were good decisions. Now, it wasn't like I just blindly said, this is the best. No, I really, I did. I tried the others and I'm like, it's not the same. Yeah. So where did Paul come into the picture? Was this with him or did you meet him later on? It was me and one other guy and we were starting to sell projects and I was really cheap about it, but we needed another pair of hands. And so I asked my then business partner, I said, is there anyone else we can get? We can outsource to because I didn't really, I didn't have the same experience in building an agency. I'm like, well, we need another web developer. And he goes, oh, well, I got this guy that used to work under me at a different place. And I wonder if he would help. And luckily, this was, America was still in feeling the after effects of a recession at the time. So he was unemployed, doing a little bit of freelancing. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'd love to help. Do you mind if I come into the office? I'll work in the office as opposed to remote. I said, sure, why not? And we got along and I thought he was very funny. Really pretty quickly, I was like, hey, do you want more work? Hey, are you interested in doing a revenue share? Hey, do you want to be a formal business partner here? And, you know, then I mentioned to him, I'd love to do a podcast, but I don't want to deal with the editing. I'd interned one summer in a recording studio in Chicago. So I had an appreciation and familiarity with audio equipment. Really, a podcast for me was like an excuse to buy some gear. I love gear. I love gadgets. Like, that's me. That's how you post on social media is your cameras, your drones. Your, <laughs> I know. Uh, and I don't want it to man. come off as like obscene, rampant consumerism. It's just, I love gadgets is all it is. Well, you use it. You're using it. It's not, I think all the stuff you post, you actually use. Yeah. I don't want it to come across as like showing off or consumerism. I want it to come across as like fun or inspirational of like, hey, like here's a cool thing and here's what you could do with it. Oh, it comes across that way for sure. Okay, good. I appreciate that. Thank you. I overthink everything. I worry about stuff. Uh, I know. I know. What I, oh, and Paul goes, hey, you know, I used to watch, do you know The Onion? I said, yeah. yeah the newspaper from UW-Madison, the parody satirical newspaper. It was their first podcast I used to edit. I said, no kidding. He goes, yeah, it was their first web content producer. So once I had that, like, I no longer had an excuse to not do a podcast. I wanted to buy Mike. I had a topic. I guessed it on a few podcasts where at the end people go, oh, you're good at this. You should consider hosting one. And that was very early in podcasting where people had to like advocate for it. Then Serial happened and now everyone has a podcast, including Jay Myers. When Jay Myers has one, you know everyone has one. (laughs) (laughs) Now we don't think twice about it, but like six years ago, podcast, like I had to explain to people what a podcast was. It was weird. Even if you listen to podcasts six years ago, like I remember 2008, when I discovered podcasts, I had an eco like a warehouse and I would listen to them all day and I would tell people, oh, you yeah, listen to podcasts. Like, nobody even really knew what it was. It was a weird subcategory in iTunes. It was hard to find. No one would have thought it would become what it is today. So now it's another medium. It's another way to connect with your audience and things evolve and change. And I think it can be blogs, it can be social, it can be newsletters. It's another medium that brands can use to communicate with their audience. A hundred percent. And it's so accessible now. $100 gets you a Blue Yeti microphone that sounds way better than it has any right to. And $10 gets you podcast hosting. And that's it. You're set. Like now you could go record a podcast. Right. Okay. So before I jump into some e-commerce stuff, one last question. What's the future hold for you next year, next five years? Where are you going with your journey, you and Paul? This is such a good question, and it's one that keeps me up and tortures me. Truly, I have built a fantastic lifestyle business that has exceeded my expectations. But the journey is 80% of the fun. Hmm. And so where do you go from there? And truthfully, I don't know the answer to that. We've got Shopify apps. I have done info products in the past. 
we primarily do consulting, Shopify consulting now, the podcast, and that generates sponsorship revenue, of which we are lucky to call Bold a sponsor. We're honored to be a sponsor. Yeah, you were the first recurring one too. That Bold has a special place in my heart because of that. See, you bet big on Shopify early. We bet big on you early. It's true. You're right, which I appreciate. I was so scared to add sponsors and nobody cared and it added legitimacy to the show. But no, going forward, truthfully, I don't know the answer because we're having so much fun with what we're doing. Everything we do, I love. Like there's nothing I want to get rid of and there's nothing I particularly want to add. At its core, I love entrepreneurship. I love working with entrepreneurs and hosting a podcast about Shopify. You're essentially hosting a podcast about entrepreneurship and being an e-commerce business consultant. That's how I see myself. Well, you just talk to entrepreneurs all day. That's my core love. It's tough to think like, well, gee, how would I do this differently or better? I think you just nailed it, man. I think too many people, when I ask that question or something similar, they try to have definite goals. And I think like, if I could just sum up what you just said, it's you want to be doing what you love, having fun, and hopefully you can make revenue at it. Because you found a way to do that. And you've been quite vocal in communities and areas like you're not trying to build a, a billion dollar thousand person company, which nothing's wrong with that. I know we're on a quite different trajectory at Bull. Like we're almost 400 people and both are fine. But you've chosen the path of intentionally staying lean and profitable and enjoying what you do, right? Only recently have I embraced the phrase lifestyle business. I think there's something in the past, especially like derogatory about it. But I am prone to anxiety. I'm risk averse. You said, oh, I've you know, bowled 400 people now. Congratulations. I couldn't sleep at night, right? Right. <laughs> so for someone who could do that, my hat is off to you. For me, I know like I just don't have the personality for it. I do intentionally keep things small. Now, we've grown a little bit over bigger than I originally anticipated. But I think my point is, it's easy to say the grass is greener when you're comparing yourself to other people's business, but you really have to, what you want personally really is what matters. It's your business, you know, do what you want with it. Because ultimately that's why you start a business, right? Yeah. You don't like, when you have a boss, you are beholden to them. Don't be just beholden to other people's ideas of what your business should be. You could seek out advice and, but ultimately it comes down to what you want as the business owner. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, I hope in the next year to five years, if I, we talk in five years, you're still having fun, enjoying what you're doing and making money at it. Because really, like that's the goal in life. That's 100%. Absolutely. Okay. Let's dive into CRO, a bit of some conversion rate optimization. I know this is a big passion of yours. I see all kinds of social about it, your teardowns, your swipe files, which I have saved a few of your swipe files. Oh, sweet. I picture you, I don't know, every time you post one of those swipe files, it's like a checkout or a cart or a product page and there's something that stands out to you and you take a screenshot and you post it and you love how they do this. This makes sense because of... Can you get through a shopping experience on another site without <laughs> taking a screenshot? <laughs> Or is it like you're just constantly analyzing every shop you shop at? It has become just the lens through which I see the world. And my wife will even do it now where she'll be on a site. She'll be like, oh, here's some cool. Check this out. I'll be like, screenshot it, send it to me. She's like, I already did. Like, and that's nice too, because she'll shop on websites that like I wouldn't necessarily shop on. It's hard not to, right? Now that's the way your brain works. It does now because it's like, all right, first you design websites and then you start noticing like patterns you like or think you're like, oh, that's clever. That's cool. And then what I love about e-commerce websites, it's design and art serving business. So like it has mm. these very clear goals and metrics that you could tie it back to you where you could say, well, this design is successful. And really, I love that part about e-commerce design. And so when purchasing something, everyone knows what that end goal is, is to make a purchase and for it to be as easy as possible. So like the business owner's goals are aligned and the customer's goals are aligned. Like that is a wonderful altruistic bit about e-commerce design. But yeah, every time I'm shopping on a site, if anything stands out to me as like, this is really good, I will screenshot it and share it as inspiration for other folks and to try and help like get people into that design thinking mindset. Yeah. So if we take a step back and 
we don't think about button colors and to take a step back, how should merchants or how do you think about conversion optimization on stores? You should build your website for a crazy, lazy drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, assume your customer is a narcissist. So like one of the biggest fails I see e-commerce merchants make is I land on their site and everything's I, I, I. They suffer from a bad bout of iorea. And instead, it should be you focused. It should be entirely about the customer. Like what benefit are they going to get out of buying from you, out of shopping from their store? So I think like that's where the crazy part comes in. Just assume that they are a narcissist. It needs to be about them. They don't care about you. And the crazy lazy drunk there was a guy, uh, Richard Litower, who used to do drunk user testing. He would literally like get hammered and then record himself trying to use your website, trying to shop from it. And so like you want the website to be so abundantly easy to use that a wildly drunk person could do it. It was Richard Litower. I have Richard a Litower, Okay, I'm going to add it to the show notes. I think that's awesome. The user is drunk.com is the guy's website. <laughs> Okay, I'll check it out. And I've heard like, make sure your 70-year-old grandma can use it and similar concept. Maybe 70-year-old grandma drunk would be the ultimate. <laughs> yes. <test. laughs> and so like the fundamental problem is you as the merchant within a day of setting that store up, you have now spent more time on it than anyone else ever will. And so any issues, oddities, weirdness with it, you develop change blindness. You just like don't see it. And so you want to get people who are entirely unfamiliar with your website to just try and walk through making a purchase from it. And you would be surprised at the number of weird oddities they run into that you just don't even think about anymore. And a lot of it is like just based around navigation. That's the one thing that's really hard that no one puts enough time into and is so easy to screw up. And it's such a huge opportunity. Because someone landing on my homepage is not shopping yet. That's like someone walking past your storefront. If they visit a collection page or product page, now they're shopping. That is someone who has entered your store. But that's where you want, like, everything on that homepage should be about orienting them as quickly as possible, like within seconds, Mm. getting them to a relevant collection or product so that even if they don't buy that one, they're at least interested in it. And they've raised their hand and said, okay, I'm compelled enough to check this out. And then now you could start remarketing to them or maybe they sign up for your newsletter. So you could increase that like total number of touch points where hopefully they'll come back and purchase. Because most people are not, they're not going to purchase on the first go. Like even a store with an extraordinary conversion rate of 5%, that would be extremely high. That still means 95 out of 100 people did not purchase. So you really need to work on like getting them in a funnel, increasing those touch points making it really easy to shop, making it very clear what the benefit is, why they should be there. And if you want to talk about yourself, then it better be like you as a person, not a brand telling your story about how you came to do this because you probably have some things in common with the customer. Right. Okay, I got like so many questions coming from this. Yeah, that was a lot. (laughs) No, it's good. I'm going to ask the first one. So on the topic of landing on your homepage, do you have a list, like a checkbox questions that need to be answered. Like you mentioned, they need to orientate to themselves. I often think social proof needs to be there. It needs to feel that they're an authority on some subject. What are some of those key elements that you think need to be addressed on either the homepage or within like the first 20 seconds or 10 seconds of users on the site? The trick here is number one, to answer the question of positioning. And I think this is like an incredibly basic thing that pretty much everybody screws up for years, myself included. Positioning is the cornerstone of your messaging. It becomes the cornerstone of your website, marketing, content, copy, etc. My positioning statement would be, Kurt Elster helps Shopify store owners discover hidden profits in their websites. And then if I want to add a differentiator, unlike other e-commerce consultants, he's solely concerned with return on investment. Okay, there. In two sentences, I have described who I help and what I help them do and how I'm different. And you could like drop the second sentence with the differentiation. So that's what you got to do. It has to be like brand name helps target market achieve outcome or solve pain or problem, whatever that may be. All right. So writing that is harder than it sounds. And if you can write that out, 
Now can you distill, get that incredibly concise, get that down to a three to five word tagline. Aha. All right. If you get it to a three to five word tagline, now it can live in the masthead, the header of the website as part of the logo. And so every single person who visits that website, we know people read in an F to pattern, top to bottom, left to right. So if your logo is like top left, great. If it's center, that's fine too. At least know that by virtue of seeing your logo and that tagline, everyone knows what you offer and why. And that is the starting point. If you can get that messaging across as quickly, as coherently, as concisely as possible, that's like the make or break cornerstone of the rest of the experience. Your biggest enemy is not another competitor. It's the back button. If I land in your site and I'm like, this is a muddled mess that has nothing to do with me, I'm just going to click back and go find a different search result that answers the question. I love it. And that 95% that don't buy the first time, it'll be memorable if it's short, concise, to the point. And then it's often subconscious, but I think customers, they have a worldview of themselves, what their values are. And I think like for e-commerce brands, I think it's important to know, are they a premium brand? Are they a bargain brand? Are they the cheapest out there? If you're a premium brand, you know, having messaging like will match any price or stuff like that, you know, that conflicts. So having a clear stance. And the other thing you mentioned, what did you call it? Iorea? Iorea. Yes. <laughs> I love that because I think in the software world, actually, we just had Patrick Kadu from Supply on the show. Okay, very bright. Super smart guy. Built great razors. I mean, these are like $125 razors. Well, I think the $75 and then the kit's $125 or something. But one of the things that he's going through now that he's actually scaled a really successful brand and a big exercise for him was going through understanding what you call jobs to be done. And in the software world, this is how we talk. Like at Bold, this is common terminology. We're constantly saying jobs to be done. And it's, we're building software, not because of the buttons or the features or the functions or what's the job that it does. And, you know, when you go on a website and you see a brand say, the world's first, let's take the razor example, the world's first, sharpest, cleanest, razor that whatever like you're talking about all the features that's what they did for years and now they're shifting to like what is the job that this actually does for the customer it helps them feel oh what did he say it's a weighted razor it's heavy it just glides along the face it makes you feel it's like you feel good about yourself when you shave and that's the job it actually does it gives you like a luxury feeling and that's the kind of thing you only get by surveying customers right yeah, you got to talk to your customers. They don't care what it's made out of and every little detail and how good you are. It's how good it makes them. Yeah, what's the benefit? And in this case, it's a product that improves your self-image and appearance. But that's not how razors talk about themselves, right? So yeah, he has found that like squishy intrinsic quality to the product. And that's the kind of thing like when you're not used to it, you don't have a ton of experience with e-commerce, it feels squishy and hand wavy, and it is absolutely not the case. I could tell you having done countless hours of conversion rate optimization work, the most effective conversion rate tactic we have is copywriting. And hmm. the most effective copywriting efforts we've done is literally copying and pasting from surveys, where it's like, survey customers and will ask like, what's the benefit that someone would get out of buying this? And they'll say something like, I feel like a male model after a, a really close, great shave with supply razors. So when I see something like that, I go, oh shit, like that nailed it. So that's better than any copywriter could put it. That's better than the merchant would have stated it. That customer statement, that's what I want. And if a customer talked about it that way, other customers talk about it that way. And so I'm going to copy and paste that and make that the hero image headline on our website. And then, oh my gosh, it's going to, sales are going to go up. Actually, I have a real world example of this. I have a client who sells brick ovens. It's called chicagobrickoven.com. And we did this exact scenario for them. The headline on their hero image on their homepage is, quote, the oven and the pizza I cooked became the sensation of my small town, end quote. This guy... We did a survey. One of the customers flat is like, I bought your pizza oven. Now I'm the mayor. I mean, that's fundamentally what he said. And so like you couldn't come up with anything like that, trying to copyright it yourself. And as a merchant, you're too close to it, right? It's like, well, it's designed this way and it cooks this way. Nobody cares. Like, what's the outcome? 
this is a brick oven so good. It's going to change your social status. What? <laughs> Never going to come up with that. So like that's, yeah, those surveys and understanding the customer and the jobs to be done and focusing on copywriting as part of CRO. Really tremendous way to grow an e-commerce business. Again, you go back to that positioning and messaging is the cornerstone of your business because without that, you need that driving force to keep everything coherent. Copy is often the last thing you do. It's the last thing you think about. It's like, oh yeah, I need a product description. Oh yeah, I need a... Ugh, ugh, such That's like probably the number one mistake. Yeah. Well, that was my next question. I was going to ask, what are some things merchants do horribly wrong, but with good intentions? Well, here's the diabolical phrase I hear is, no one reads on the internet. And that becomes the excuse for, I'm not going to invest anything in copywriting, right? And that's the problem. People don't read the way we think they do. Like they don't read in one chronological fashion where I'm start at the top of the homepage, work my way through it. Next page, start at the top, go down. They don't. They skim and they read sections and they try and find relevant portions and relevant interesting things. And then they'll skim that and then they'll read a little bit and then they'll read a little deeper. And eventually they'll have read like 80% of it if it's interesting to them. And of course, that's how they read. That's how we all read. That's how we consume any media. And so that's where, oh, people don't read. Yeah, well, most copy on the internet is garbage. Of course, you wouldn't read it. At the same time, the web is 90% text. So having good copy, which also means like it's laid out well, it's easy to read. That really helps. And I think like one that has really nailed that is Amazon in their product listings, where at the top, it's like, here's five bullet points. And you could tell like there's a kind of a formula to it for the really successful merchants. Five bullet points and we'll lead with the benefit and then we'll put a longer explanation after it. And then you scroll down and there's a, a longer description after that. And it's broken up with like bolded headings so that it makes it easier to scan and skim through. And then we've also got like loads of social proof in the form of Q&A from purchasers and reviews. And I yeah. think that's the magic. And if you're struggling, if you're like, okay, I believe you, I just don't know how to apply this to myself. You are not alone. Copywriting is hard. I read a whole bunch of copywriting books. None really clicked with me. And then I read The Brain Audit by Sean DeSouza. Man, that book is good. That's the one where I went, okay, now I understand it. Now this makes sense. I've never read it. It's really, and it's quick read. I read it in like 40 minutes on a Starbucks. So that'll take me about two hours then, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a particularly quick reader myself. If you get one thing away from this podcast, I want you to have homework. Buy the brain audit and use that as a formula for to write the product description for just your number one selling product and watch what happens. It will change the way you view copywriting. I love it. I think as you were talking, thinking about the last few sites that I've shared in my little... I have like a, we have like a football chat with like a bunch of friends that we play fantasy football with. And I don't know, like we share cool links with each other. And I haven't shared a site that has good photography. Like I feel like that's a normal thing now, but you have as an e-commerce store an opportunity to stand out as a merchant with good copy because very few stores are doing it. Tons of stores have beautiful photography and then like one line of copy or no copy at all. And it actually blows me away. Like some of the luxury fashion brands will have a beautiful... My wife sent me this. This was a little while ago at Christmas. Like this, She wanted some new shoes and it was... She's going to listen to this. But anyways, it's a site <laughs> that has... They're like expensive, really nice shoes. But there's like one line, the title. And maybe that's their thing. I don't know. But I think you can stand out. And actually, the last couple sites that I've shared... Look at your Facebook group. Pit Viper started going crazy. Pit Viper. Shared it. And like, that one's so fun. But what's good about it? They're copy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have this like eight bit theme, but the copy is so in your face. And what's interesting about this, when I was talking about pit vipers and like, they're just the most absurd, extreme. It's like how you remember 90 sunglasses rather than how they actually were. They're like very extreme. One of my friends at another Shopify agency got the RFP, the request for proposal from Pit Vipers before they built their site. And in it, it said, we need a website that slaps the Oakleys off your face. <laughs> and if that's in your RFP, like that level of just absurdist extreme copy uh, gave it so much personality that yeah. it works. And it yeah. separates the wheat from the chaff. You're going to land on that site and uh, look at it and you immediately know 
this is for me or this is absolutely not for me. It makes it very polarizing, which I using the word polarizing in reference to a sunglasses website. <laughs> you do that on purpose because that's genius. I did it unintentionally <laughs> in my Facebook group and someone was like, oh, I see you what go. you did there. And now I do it on purpose. Oh, uh, yeah. OK, so that is a great takeaway. I want to jump into some of your pet peeves because All right. you sound like a crotchety old man that has a lot of pet peeves <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to e-commerce. Oh, geez, Rick. I do. I do have some pet peeves. <laughs> there you go. Let's do maybe like your top three, like what boils your blood when you're shopping? 100%. Absolutely. The number one that drives me crazy. And it's such an easy fix is when I see a home link in the main menu. It's just like, for me, that's the thing that screams amateur hour. Uh, interesting. I see it. I see it all the time too. So what should they do? The logo, obviously. So we don't need a home link because the logo always links back to home. And like, there's really nothing that important in home that that should be the first link. You should be able to get everywhere on the site from wherever you are, right? Ideally, yeah. And like, I could click the logo and get back to home. So like, I don't need that home logo. I want... My main menu, and you'll see this on every major retailer's website, the main menu is exclusively devoted to shopping. Every link in your main menu should go to a product page or a collection page. If it goes anywhere else, you did it wrong. Just straight up, you did it wrong. Put that stuff in a secondary, like the non-shopping stuff can go in a secondary menu, like a top menu or the footer menu or both. So that's your contact about us, yeah. resources, a blog, affiliate program, a live journal. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff goes, <laughs> could live in the footer. That should get no real estate in your main menu. Yes. And ideally like secondary or top menu should be only things that support a purchase decision. So I want like about, because your story does in fact play a role in a purchase decision and your FAQ and your return policy. That can live, you know, like sometimes you'll see sites have like, a few links in the header, but separate of the main menu. When I say top menu, that's what I mean. And then the, everything else can go in the footer and everybody knows like wholesale application, initiate a return, whatever it is like that stuff. They know that they could find that in the footer. So that's how I want my main menu organized. And if you've got a ton of stuff, it gets hard. I get it. Put all your stuff on an index card, lay it out on the floor. Every link that you have, write it down an index card. And then put those on the floor and you can use that to rearrange your main menu very quickly. It's just too hard to do it in your head. And then what's your decision criteria? You hold each card and you say, this aids a purchasing decision, this doesn't? Well, first I want to group like products and collections. Like do that first. That's my main menu. All right, doesn't do that. That's in a different pile. That pile I'm going to take and go, does this support a purchase decision or not? And that's going to determine what goes in the top menu versus in the footer. And then within the main menu, okay, depending on how much you have, you, now you're going to start trying to figure out what those categories should be. The thing I don't want to see is drop, this is my second pet peeve. All shopping is in the main menu and it's just a single drop down that says shop, just four little letters. And then everything is just nested inside of that. The problem with that is at a glance, I cannot see what you sell. And I'm reliant on a drop down menu, which often have questionable user experience like as an interface they're not ideal whereas if i break all that stuff out i could see it at a glance it makes life much easier and people have trouble sorting through lists that get too big you get choice paralysis so like ideally i want five or less in a menu occasionally you could push it to seven but i wouldn't do more than that if you get to eight all right just break it into two four menus of four things if you can you have to wear your librarian hat, figure out a taxonomy, and it really gets a lot, it's a lot harder than it sounds. So I understand why people struggle with menus. Every little item is like your baby and you feel like you need everything in that menu and you're just confusing the customer journey. Yeah, no, you nailed it. 100%. Yeah. So yeah, that's two, right? So your home yes. menu. Home and don't have everything <laughs> live under shop. That drives me crazy. And the third one I'm going to go with you land on the homepage and it's just like an image carousel that says, welcome to our website. Again, like it's not, you need to make it about the customer and their journey and benefit that they're going to get out of you. And when you really understand it and you can nail down what that one thing is, okay, now you can have a single hero image instead of the carousel. 
or a single, even better, a hero video. That's going to make it a lot easier because with like a carousel, you're just bloating your load time because 90% of people are never going to see anything other than the first slide. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking about, I don't manage stores. We build software, but I have a couple of family members that have Shopify stores. Intrinsically, you have enough experience here to be able to speak on this as an authority, I promise. <laughs> I'm rethinking their homepages literally as we speak. And my brother sells archery targets. And I think the copy on the homepage is something like the world's toughest, strongest, only lifetime warranty archery target or something to that extent. Well, I, okay, I like that. There's another pro tip, right? Major killer. You want to make <laughs> bold claims. At a dinner party, you want to be modest. In your marketing copy, modest and subtle does not help anybody. So being able to make bold claims like world's toughest, I mean, that's quite a claim. I like that. That's good. And another unique selling position, because I'm sure plenty of people sell archery targets, but being able to say like, yeah, we've got this outrageous warranty. I like bold claims. I worked with a company that sells bulletproof vests. They sell body armor. And I was digging through their website before I started the project. And I noticed that part of their warranty was if you get shot wearing their vest, if you straight up, you get shot in the product, they'll replace it for free. And Hmm. I was like, you know what? It's such a uniquely American thing, selling a bulletproof vest to consumers, normalizing the use of body armor, which, okay, we get it. It's weird. I'm used to talking about it now. But like, that was such a bold claim. I put it in the header of their website. Straight up, it's in the message bar. Here's our promise. If you get shot wearing this thing, we'll replace it. Like, it's such a bold claim because people are staring at this stuff all day long. What do you do on your phone? You scroll through Facebook all day. You need the thumb stopper is what Facebook ads people call it. You need a thumb stopper. So those bold claims could really help with that. So what I was thinking was the ability to do that, he probably needs to tweak the wording a little bit, but he has a lifetime warranty on an archery target, which an archery target will wear out. Absolutely. Like, there's no way it's going to last forever. What he's saying is he will replace it when it wears out. So he's playing the law of averages that only maybe, you know, 10 or 20% of people actually wear it out and file the claim for warranty. And he's done this for 15 years and it's worked. But I thought about some type of copy on the homepage to the extent of like the only target that you'll look good shooting even if you miss it. (laughs) So you don't want to get too clever. Okay. Like clever is fun, but clever can also be your enemy. If you get too clever, it'll make sense to you and like your diehard fans and everyone else is like, what are they talking about? So often I will say clarity trumps clever. Okay, good. I like it. Okay, I see. I okay, You're not a crotchy old man. There's, <laughs> there's wisdom behind your thoughts. No, absolutely. No, I'm just like <laughs> making stuff up. I like to get yeah. mad about ah! home links. <laughs> ah! Is there any other pet peeves that make your eye twitch before we move on? Oh, I'm sure there are are many, but those are the top ones. When you're lying in bed shopping on your phone and your wife's half asleep and you go, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Well, in that case, auto-playing video with sound. I was on a conference call today and I opened up a website and it's fortunately, it was like related to what we were doing, but it just starts playing like rock music in the background. And it was like some stock soundtrack to whatever video they had going. Like, who does that? What kind of monster are you? (laughs) <laughs> although i could see the folks at pit viper playing something that has like a hilarious track that would just make everyone around you in the office laugh you have like media player controls on the site and you like styled up like a walkman because the site's all like 80s 90s themed and you like styled up like a walkman and then they could choose to play it and that like that would be fun there's ways to do it okay no more pet peeves i don't want to i'm gonna get like a aneurysm just thinking about all this <laughs> Time flies. We've gone over time a little bit here, but that's okay. We don't have a time limit. I think if people aren't getting value, they can just stop listening. So this is really good. I want to ask holiday seasons coming up, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, whatever you want to call it. It's the holiday season of shopping. Any Kurt predictions for this year? Well, I think a month ago, this was a prediction. Now this starts to feel like this is the common held belief is things are going to start early this year. At the time of this recording, Amazon has not yet announced Prime Day. Prime Day normally happens in the summer. They have pushed it back, pushed it back, pushed it back. And so we think it's going to happen. I heard mid-October, but they haven't nailed it down. Yeah, it's going to happen in October is 
everybody's best bet. And as part of that, I think those Black Friday sales are going to start earlier this year and they're all moving online. Major retailers uh, in the U.S. are not going to be open for Black Friday. Several of the really big ones have stated that. And I think we're spooked about shipping and logistics, both for merchants to receive their inventory and for them to get those gifts from the merchant to the customer. So I think people are weary and spooked about logistics. And so it just makes sense that consumers are going to want, and I hate that word consumers, people, people are going to want to make their purchases earlier if they can. And having sales gives them the excuse. Plus, like a lot of people with the pandemic are bored. There's a lot of like just bored shopping and the seasonality of the holidays is a great excuse for that. And so if we've got Prime Day starting like right at the end of October, mid to the end of October, and we've got, you know, these fears around shipping and logistics, I just think everybody's going to be like end of October. All right, we got that first week in November. I've heard there's an election or something in the US. That's going to be weird. And then I think end of October, we're going to be doing sales. And then like immediately after the election, I think we're going to see people running their Black Friday sales early. And one of the ways you could do it is like just run your sales purely via email the first week in November to your like VIP customers. And if it works, okay, great. If it doesn't work, tweak it. But then second week, all right, now let's run this to just like everyone who made a purchase in the last 12 months minus the people who made a purchase in the last week. And do it again the following week to a wider range, take a break, then run your actual Black Friday sale. I think there would be big advantage in trying to run your sale multiple times by segmenting your audiences and by doing it across different channels. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I can't see people shopping in store. Like it's not the days of lining up in front of Best Buy and herds crashing into the Walmarts and Targets. Like that's done or for this year anyway it's got to be like 90% online. It's just not going to happen in the store. So what that might do to the logistics and like the infrastructure around e-commerce has the potential to cripple. So I think, yeah, getting out ahead is going to be really important. Is there anything you're telling your merchants as far as messaging goes? Like any sensitivities or any changing in messaging or are you saying no go as normal everyone else is still referring it to as black friday cyber monday or any sensitivities there no i'd probably call it like black friday early i like the idea of an early bird sale or like sneak preview and that's where having it segmented to like just your email list and past purchasers and you explain to them like hey you're getting this email because you purchased from us and we appreciate it and this is how we're going to say thank you I agree 100% with you. I think you nailed it. Give the best possible deal you can. People are genuinely hurting and struggling and maybe be less gimmicky. Just like it's not weird, confusing, hard to find sales or just be honest and give the best possible deal you can. Start early. And I think that'll go a long way in the messaging. But Because I think there is a little bit of sensitivity, but I think once the sales start hitting, it's going to be... It'll feel online anyway. I think it'll feel very much like other years. Yeah. I appreciate your nod to sensitivity. At the same time, I think there also is an advantage in approaching it the way you would normally, because I imagine people are looking for a sense of normalcy and can appreciate that. Okay. We got a couple community questions that came in. (laughs) All right. Hit me. Nick Lynn asked if there's something you could do different in your business, what would it be? That's a good question. If I had to do it over, I wish I hadn't missed the boat on themes. Like we don't sell a theme. We'd considered it. And I really think like it's a very difficult thing to get into now. And I had first mover advantage in some of the other things I did. I I wish I'd sold a theme. Why not? Yeah, sure. Ray Nope asked if you made your own store that you sold, what apps would you absolutely use aside from Clavio, which... Is a sponsor, I guess, or that's maybe one you always recommend. I don't know. Well, that's my preferred email service provider. So I'm still, I'm using Clavio, but that's a gimme. Okay, right. Okay, maybe that's why they said aside from Clavio. So yeah, what apps were you using? Why are you so funny and engaging? (laughs) (laughs) That's quite the softball. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Why am I so funny and engaging? 
this is literally a skill. Like I used to be just a terrified introvert who couldn't do just like the idea of doing a podcast made me literally sweat. It's a skill. If this is a thing you want to do and you're like, I wish I could do that. You can. It just it takes practice. I did it for six years. As far as the what apps would we use in our own store? I want a way to number one, I want to be able to increase my touch points and I want to be able to increase my average order value. I think with apps, those are the two things I want to do. Obviously, I'm going to use Klaviyo and that could sync to Facebook so I can get my remarketing ads there. I need some kind of pop-up solution. I might use Klaviyo's built-in one, but if I want to get fancy, I'm going to use Privy. And then for upsell, I love that Bold's product upsell can do true upsells where it removes one product and adds another. And so what I do is like, I try to bundle my products. And if you buy an individual item that's in a bundle, it will try and do a true upsell and say, hey, for just, and this is another feature I think is unique to Bold Upsell to go, for just X dollars more, did you want to upgrade? So like, let's say the individual product is 10 and the bundle is 15. It'll go for just $5 more. Ah, and that's just, that works really well to increase average order value. And fun fact, we look at the data True upsells versus cross-sells convert about 20 times better than a cross-sell too because you're already buying something and it's just upgrading. It's not like a decision to buy another product. So I think we're going to have to have you on for another episode at some point. This has been really fun. I have a lot more questions. The community had a lot more questions. You're not just fun to talk to. You're packed full of knowledge. So I'll definitely get you back on here at some point. Really quick, just where do people find you? Google me. Yes, sir. <laughs> if you Google Kurt Elster, head to KurtElster.com, sign up for my newsletter there. That comes from my actual email address. So if you reply to those emails, you have a thoughtful question, I will send you a thoughtful reply. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kurt. Thanks for having me, Jay. I appreciate it. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 